Welcome back to our series, A Tour Through John. Today we're going to be going through John chapter 2, at least the first part of it. Jesus' core group, his apostles, as he named them, has grown. And he's going to take them to a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. Last time we looked at the calling of Nathanael. He was from the town of Cana. You also see it mentioned in chapter 21. Well, it's a wedding. It's not just a wedding ceremony where you show up and you're half an hour early to be polite. And once the short service is over, you wait around while they have photographs and then uh, maybe a dinner or or some kind of reception for another hour or two. Uh, No, that's not the way they did it in the Bible times. Wedding parties normally lasted one to two weeks. This was, wasn't something you just fitted into your busy schedule. Obviously, it's a different culture. Um, in the notes to the podcast, I've given you a couple of examples if you want to look it up. One in Genesis, one in Judges. So again, this is no half-day affair. In fact, there's a... Um, Even the Old Testament Apocrypha, uh, there's a passage in Tobit. It says, when the 14 days of the wedding celebration had ended, that Raguel had sworn to observe his daughter, Tobias came to him. So this is a very different world to our world. And I I doubt very much that Jesus, well, he just told everyone he's busy and he'd just be there for a few hours. In all likelihood, he and his disciples Join that wedding for one or two weeks. He did not put relationship building uh, in kind of the unspiritual category. He didn't place that in opposition to preaching or ministry. They flowed together naturally. And every occasion was a possibility for ministry and for teaching. And he will teach a lot at the wedding ceremony, even though there's no uh, lesson, there's no sermon or class so to speak. Okay, so just setting the stage a little bit, let's begin to read chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 
Well, that's our entire passage for this morning's podcast. This is, uh, as John says, the first of his signs. Let me say a few things about that before we uh, come back and, and look at exactly what happened. Now, if, if you want to look at the chronology of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you assume that the gospel writers have put all the miracles in order, well then, with that approach, this, according to some people, might be Jesus's 10th miracle. But I wouldn't encourage you to do it that way. Again, the ancients approached uh, chronology very different than we do. In John's gospel, this is the first of the signs, that is, the first of the signs that John is uh, recording. He's not saying that there are no others. In fact, in uh, 2.23, we read that Jesus had been doing lots of miracles. And yet in 4.54, when Jesus heals the official son, that's called the second of his signs. Right, so there were there are miracles uh, probably before uh, what we find in Cana and probably more miracles in between uh, that part of chapter 2 and the later part of chapter 2. So these are the signs that John is numbering. In other words, in the, in the series of, of the miracles that he's decided to focus on, and there's seven uh, major ones, this is the first. So it's not Jesus' first miracle, as is often said. And a new character enters the stage. In chapter one, it's just men, right? Uh, you've got the word becoming flesh. You've got John the Baptist, and you have those early disciples. Well, here it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's kind of interesting to me. In the Gospel of John, her name isn't mentioned, not, not even once. There are other Marys. There are actually a number of Marys in the Gospel. Do you know where they are? So Jesus' uh, mother shows up. The wine gives out. And what does Mary want Jesus to do? It seems that she has something in mind. Is she taking charge? Is she pressing him consciously or not to exercise his powers as the son of God? I don't know. If so, her pressuring him is definitely premature. But there's another possibility. She may be reminding Jesus that his decision to be a wandering rabbi followed by equally <laughs> penniless disciples has put the family in the embarrassing situation of not being able to meet the needs of the guests at the wedding celebration. Uh, whether that was actually their responsibility or not, I, I don't think so, because it simply says that uh, Jesus and the disciples had been invited. It doesn't actually say what Mary's relation is, though we assume there might be a family connection. But she, she comes to him, and his reaction is quite strong. You know, she said, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? That's a very common construction in the Bible. And uh, why does he react that way? Well, she's somehow shifting responsibility onto Jesus. It's not that he's unwilling to help. It seems that the timing is not right here. He turns the water to wine. Stone jars were used instead of clay pots. I've seen uh, some of these stone jars. They kind of last forever. They were durable. According to Leviticus 11, if something unclean fell into a water uh, 
container. Let's say a lizard fell in. There are lizards in Israel. I've seen them. Uh, well, you just had to kind of scour the uh, inside of the pot and everything's okay. Now, if it fell into a much lighter, easier, more common and cheaper clay container, then the clay vessel had to be smashed. So I think water uh, jars were, uh, well, you can invest in the stone and you're not going to have to worry at all about that aspect of the ceremonial law. The jars survive for future service. By the way, these are big jars. I remember once here in Atlanta, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which often go on uh, exhibition, they go on tour. Uh, they were at uh, Emory University's amazing museum, and they actually brought some water jars, stone water jars. These uh, hold 150 gallons. They're tall, not as tall as a person, maybe half as tall. Well, depending on how tall the person. But it, this is a very large container, which means that Jesus actually created an awful lot of wine. Let me go back to that comment about the timing. He says, my time has not yet come. It's clear in this gospel that Jesus is following the timing of the Father. There are comments he makes about the time. And this is one of those many special words in John. There are so many. Another is water, which we'll come to in a moment. But for example, in 7, 30, 8, 20, 12, 23, 13, 1, 17, 1, I've written down the, the passages for you, and, and, and there are more. But he's he's clearly on a certain uh, schedule, and it's not the schedule that others would necessarily understand. But there's even more exciting stuff going on here. It's not just the first miracle is a, um, <laughs> well, it's a pretty amazing miracle. There's a lot more going on here, actually a kind of subversion of the social order. Now, let's think about this. He creates 500 liters of wine, maybe more, maybe less, depending on the capacity. And then if the wine was diluted with water at the ratio of one to one, because normally wine was mixed with water, then there might have been 500 persons present at the banquet. Um, in ancient banquets, the best wine wasn't only presented first, it was served to the most important guests. In fact, they're ancient Roman writers who complain about the inequality of the practice. You know, unless you're a bigwig, the wine they give you is not the good wine. But by allowing everyone to enjoy the best wine, Jesus is placing everyone on the same level. The servants, the guests of honor, the bride and groom and their families. But there's even a deeper significance here. It's not just a subversion of the order. The miracle has something to do with the old way and the new way, the old covenant and the new covenant, Judaism and Christianity. They're different, but they're related. One is the extension of the other, but one's not just a different version of the other. Christianity stands in relationship to Judaism as, as wine does to water. So at first you think the new wine is better than the old and finer, and then you realize that in comparison to the new, wow, the old resembles water. The law comes with ritual, uh, cleansing from ritual defilement. The wine of the good news is so much better. What Jesus is saying is that the messianic age is beginning. This age that the Jews have been anticipating, Isaiah 25 verse 6, is a key scripture. So water, that's part of the old order. Water for purification, kept in stone jars. But this was now being superseded by the new order the nature and quality of, of which 
was far superior. And water is a strong motif in John. You can trace it. You know, spiritual doesn't mean non-physical. Uh, I got a very interesting email. Um, the actual, I won't tell you her whole email address, uh, but it's Cana Wedding at, and then it's uh, blah, 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 dot com. Cana Wedding. This was someone who uh, I, I guess was upset with me because I believe that water is necessary for cleansing in baptism. You know, what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21. And I got this email, uh, and she was upset because when you send questions, the the request at the website is, you know, keep it to 100 words. In other words, think it through. She says, your word limit's too short. I have one whole sheet of paper copied on both sides. It proves you are a false teacher, among many others, exactly as prophesied to happen. One side of the paper describes the true gospel of God's power from on high and how we must be baptized in the name of the real Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, not with physical water. The other side explains eight interrelated past dates that agree with the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Email me and I will send it. Uh, No, I didn't email her. (laughs) Okay, I get these things now and again. You're a false prophet and here's why. Well, at least she's She's reacting. She's understanding something that's quite true. Yeah, um, there is water in the plan. Well, um, more on that when we get to chapter three. This is uh, an amazing miracle. It's a memorable miracle. Yes, it's actual alcoholic wine. The whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense if if it's just grape juice. Jesus takes time out for a wedding. You know, are there activities that I tend to minimize? Maybe I consider them to be less productive than more spiritual endeavors. I mean, as a young Christian, there were a lot of things I just thought were unspiritual, like going to a movie, um, buying new clothes. I would just wear my clothes till there were holes in them. And some things I'm quite ashamed of. We were going to have a dinner honoring our Greek professor. When I studied classical Greek, we had a great professor, and he was retiring, and we were going to honor him, the class, but I didn't want to go. I said, no, I'm not going to that. It's not a church event. You know, it's, you know, people be eating and talking. No, it has to be a clear, you know, church event. I, as a young Christian, my oceanography class, part of it was a field trip to um, an oceanographic station on the Atlantic coast. I got out of it because it conflicted with the student devotional. But this was actually a really important part of the course. We can feel that we're just so busy. We don't have time for people. We don't have time for events that don't seem to be spiritual. See, it's either we say they're not that spiritual or, or well, they're too long. I'll just duck in for a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to do better with that these days, not to be in such a rush, not to quantify everything. Jesus takes time out for a wedding in Cana, and that means something. It shows about something about his relationships and what he values in terms of priority. But then, of course, the miracle itself has to do with the old and the new. The old uh, wine of the Old Testament, which is kind of tastes like water. It's very weak when you compare it to the, the new uh, covenant. And in my thinking, um, and I would encourage you to think about this in your own Bible study, how do the Old Testament and the Old Covenant compare with the new? As with the wine, does the new seem superior? If so, why? Because I actually... I ran into some brothers this week who were trying to say that, well, it's kind of the same. You know, the laws are the same. You're called to the same standard in both Testaments. And I said, well, no, I don't think we are. 
We're called to a higher standard. Read Matthew 5. Um, and kind of a thought experiment, if you ran into someone who'd only been instructed in the law of Moses, how would you explain your thinking about the new covenant? Now, that promise, like Jeremiah 31, of the new covenant. Anyway, there's a lot here to think about. Uh, and we have another concept to cover before, um, before we wrap up. Jesus, by the way, he's going to perform another miracle in Cana, but that's in chapter 4. Okay, this is a great um, section of scripture. Let's make a bit of a transition now and talk about the signs. We've seen a couple of confessions, the confession of John the Baptist, the confession of Nathaniel, and there's seven of those in John's gospel. There are seven signs. So a sign's not just a miracle. It's a miracle that has a specific meaning. It's not just done to help somebody or you know, to dazzle. Um, it has a theological significance. There's seven signs. So let me walk you through these. And I, I, the way I'll explain them is by chapter and by beneficiaries. Okay, I, I think this could help. What we've just seen, who benefited? Well, the wedding guests, really everyone there, and especially Jesus' disciples, because, and, and I would include Mary in there, because now they're really understanding who he is. So that's the first sign in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Then we have the healing of the official son, and that's at the end of chapter 4, 443 to 54. Whose benefits? Well, the son and the family. There's the paralytic who'd been lying for 38 years, uh, kind of hoping to be healed, at the pools of Bethesda. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. That's the third sign. The fourth is the feeding of the 5,000. And that's found in 6, 1 to 13. Jesus, soon after that, is walking on the sea. And when he gets into the boat, the boat, it seems, instantly or even instantaneously makes it to the the shore to which it was bound. So the beneficiaries there are, again, the 12, but that's in chapter 6, 16 to 21. Then we have the healing of the blind man, which basically takes up all of chapter 9. That's 41 verses. And then the seventh, which anticipates Jesus' own resurrection, in a sense, is the raising of Lazarus. So that's 11, 1 to 44. Now, what do these seven signs demonstrate? Well, one demonstrates Christ's ultimate power over quality. The second, his power over distance. The third, sickness. Then quantity, nature, misfortune, and death. That probably requires some explanation, right? Okay. His power over quality. He changes water to wine. Okay, they're both liquids. They're both beverages. But it's the quality. Distance. He heals the official son at uh, a long distance. It's a remote healing. The, the third one, the power over sickness. That's the paralytic at Bethesda. Quantity, the feeding of the 5,000. Well, they had a little bit of bread and fish. Right? They could have fed a little bit, but for Jesus, no problem multiplying it. 5,000 men, not even counting the women and children. Who knows how many of them were there? Power over nature, which is a, a, a hallmark of of God, of Yahweh in the Old Testament, and that as he uh, is on the sea. And the Old Testament says that the Lord walks on the wave. He walks on the storm. Power over misfortune, the blindness. To no fault of his own, this man had been born blind. And his power over death and the grave uh, with, with Lazarus. 
So the signs tell us something about God. They tell us something about Jesus. Here's another thing. They're all time sensitive. You know, you get these things in the mail, you know, immediately, you know, sign up for this and time's running out three more days. Usually someone wants something out of you, right? We don't like to be hassled. No one likes to be hassled. But in every one of these instances, there's a kind of a time pressure. Um, In the first, the wine's running out. The second one, the son's at the point of death and then he dies. Uh, The third, well, it's a time sensitive thing, although it feels like the opposite because he's been incapacitated for 38 years. In the fourth one, the feeding of the 5,000, it's too late in the day to arrange food. Uh Uh-oh, what do we do? The fifth one, it's a shortcut across the Sea of Galilee to get there faster. Then you have the healing of the man uh, who's been blind all his life. Again, it's a little bit like the third one. What's the rush? Couldn't he be blind another day? Yeah, but look how time plays into all these. And the last, the raising of a man who was buried long enough ago that, according to the King James Bible, he stinketh. So there's a, a time element. And they point towards, uh, they really point us towards Jesus. And especially the seventh sign, the raising of Lazarus, point us towards Christ's resurrection, which you could even say, I guess, the, it's the eighth and greatest sign in the sense that uh, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath, the seventh day, the eighth day is the day Jesus rose from the dead. I know it's the first, but the early Christians also called it the eighth. So that last sign points towards Christ's resurrection the, uh, and offering the promise of being um, ushered into the new order of things. So you have all these signs in John. Chapters 2 to 11 are called by some New Testament scholars the book of signs. So you have chapter one that's more introductory. Chapters two to 11 is the book of signs and because they contain and they're structured around seven signs. And following that, chapters 12 to 21 of John have been dubbed the book of glory. So you have chapter one, then the book of signs, and then the book of glory. Ah, but there's one more verse. Because after this event, Jesus leaves Cana and goes back to his hometown, his adopted hometown of Capernaum. So let me read that one verse. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. So his mother, I suppose, would have been going back there anyway. And notice his brothers are there. Now, we know from chapter 7 that they don't really get who he is. They're definitely on the wrong wavelength. But notice how Jesus doesn't totally separate his church friends from his family. Can you see they're all doing things together? Ah, good. And they stay there for a few days. So he and his entourage spend time in Capernaum, and all those brothers don't yet believe. You know, eventually they will be won over. Now, tomorrow, we'll be looking at the cleansing of the temple as we finish our study of John chapter 2. I really appreciate your listening this morning. Let's close with a prayer. Lord, regardless of how familiar this amazing miracle is, help us to penetrate to its real meaning and see how it points to you and tells us about you and particularly its its meaning with the new and the old, with the new wine of the kingdom compared to the old, which by comparison is, is so much like water. Lord, we appreciate the scriptures. Help us to Remember this today, this wonderful passage. We 
Ask that in the name of your son. Thank you for him. Amen.